Romans chapter 4, we'll begin in verse 13. I want to say again how good it is to see each and every one of you in the house of God on a Sunday morning. I know it was storming this morning. I know that there was hail and all kinds of strong winds and electricity knocked out some power. Some uh, got dressed in the dark this morning, amen. But I'm thankful that you made it to the house of God. I'm thankful there are lights on here, amen. And I'm thankful we can have church, amen. Amen. Romans chapter 4. We're going to continue our expository study through the book of Romans. In our last lesson, Paul made the point that Abraham was not justified by circumcision, but by faith. Circumcision was one of the pillars of Judaism. It was one of the things that the Jews felt confident was one of the things that saved them. And so Paul deals directly with that in the previous passage. He invalidates that argument, and now he turns to the other pillar that they lean upon for their salvation, the law. And the point of today's passage is that Abraham was not justified by the law. The promise that God gave to Abraham is the central focus of the passage, and that promise was not earned. God didn't give it to Abraham as a result of his fulfillment of the law. Instead, Abraham received the promise by faith. God made him a promise. God declared to him what he would do, and Abraham believed in the word of God, and that belief compelled him to obedience and obedience secured that faith compelled him into obedience and he secured the promise of God by his faith that's all it took for Abraham to inherit the promise he had faith and that faith demonstrated itself by action amen verse 13 says for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, where there, where, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And then we're going to take the very first portion of verse 17 and include it in today's lesson. It is a parenthetical expression that goes with the thought that we're dealing with. It's in parentheses. It says, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. That is our text for today. We'll break it down verse by verse, beginning with verse 13. Amen. Verse 13 said again, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world. What a great promise. The heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, everything in this passage revolves around the promise. The promise is an important concept to Paul. 
The phrase, the promise, is used 52 times in the New Testament, and exactly half of those occurrences are in the writings of Paul. He made a big deal out of the promise. And the point that he's making here is that the promise did not come through obedience to the law. It did not come through the obedience of the law. Promise came through faith. Amen. The promise was delivered to Abraham by his faith. The grace of God does not focus on what I can do. The grace of God does not focus on my works. The grace of God focuses on what God has already done. It focuses on his works. Amen. The very best that I can do is to believe in what God has already done and to put my faith into action through obedience of the Word of God. If I can believe that He died for my sins, then I can repent of my sins in faith that He'll forgive me. Amen? So the best that I can do is believe what He has done and allow that faith to compel me to obedience. The point is that the ritualistic obedience of the law will not save me. My works will never save me, but I am saved by my faith. The same kind of faith that Abraham had. Abraham's faith, we've covered this week after week after week, was demonstrated by his actions. Likewise, if I have the faith of Abraham, then my faith will compel me to obey the word of God. Amen. Abraham believed, and because he believed, he acted. Because he believed, he went. Because he believed, he did what God told him to do. The promise is then that Abraham, because of his faith, will be the heir of the world. He will inherit the whole world. Now, that's an interesting way to word the promise of Abraham. No Old Testament passage words it that way. But the concept that Paul espouses here can be seen as the summary of the whole promise. The, the, the promise that God literally made to Abraham in Scripture contained three things. There are three parts to the promise. First of all, he promised to multiply Abraham's seed or his descendants. Secondly, he promised to give them victory over their enemies. And thirdly, he promised to bless all the nations of the world through Abraham's seed. And so Paul sums it all up, and he says Abraham became the heir of the world. He inherited the world. This alludes to the fact that Abraham is the father of all who believe. He is the father of the faithful. Abraham's family of spiritual children is drawn from all the people of the world, people of every race, people of every nation, people of every tongue that demonstrate the same faith that Abraham had become his spiritual children. They become heirs with him of the promise. And so by his faith, he inherited the whole world. Amen? The seed of Abraham in this verse 
is the New Testament believer. It is the believer who has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and responded to it in faithful obedience. Believers are heirs with Abraham of the promise of God. Now, if you're following me in your Bible and you've got your Bible open to Romans chapter 4, you probably need to flip over to Galatians chapter 3 and stick a finger there or a piece of paper there because we're going we're gonna to flip back and forth a lot this morning because Romans chapter 4, this particular passage that we're dealing with, these verses are very closely linked to Galatians chapter 3 where Paul explains the same concept in the course of a whole chapter. And in Galatians chapter 3, if you look at verses 26 through 29, we're going to read that. It gives some understanding into what we're talking about in here in Romans chapter 4. Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 26, says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ... Did you catch that? For as many as you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ. And if ye be Christ, then, ye be, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. For all of you, he said, are the children of God by faith in Christ. Then he qualifies that statement. For as many as you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And if you had faith in Christ, then you were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You were baptized into Christ. You put on Christ. And if you're in Christ, then you're Abraham's seed. And you're joint heir with him in the promise. Now, earlier in Galatians chapter 3, if you'll back up to verse 16, Paul makes the point that technically there's only one seed of Abraham, and that one seed is Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ and so what Paul says here is that those who put their faith in Jesus and are baptized in his name when we are baptized in his name we are baptized into Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is the one seed of Abraham there was only one Amen. That was the seed to which the promise was given. The seed of Abraham is Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is the one seed of Abraham, then we are made joint heirs with Abraham by being baptized into Jesus Christ. The third promise that God made to Abraham was that his seed would bless the whole world. Now Paul is making the point that the seed that God was talking about in that promise was Jesus Christ. 
the Messiah would come from the lineage of Abraham. And everyone who put their faith in Jesus Christ would be baptized into Jesus Christ. And everyone who put their faith in Jesus Christ and was baptized in his name was baptized into the body of Christ. That's how we become the spiritual seed of Abraham. Jesus was the one seed. And everyone who by faith is joined with him through baptism becomes a part of that one seed. Amen. And when we become a part of that seed, we become joint heirs with Abraham. Heirs of the whole world. One of these days there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And we will inherit the whole world. The seed of faith. The seed of Abraham. Those who have joined themselves to Jesus Christ in baptism are going to receive the whole world. That day is coming. But until that day, we live by faith. Until that day, we join ourselves to Jesus Christ and to the promise of Abraham by faith. We become joint heirs with Abraham, not by the law, not by the fulfillment of the law, but by the righteousness of faith. And because of this, Abraham's spiritual family is still growing. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ will obey his word. And anyone who is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ is baptized into Jesus Christ is baptized into the promise of Abraham. The main point here is that all of this was not brought about by strict adherence to the Mosaic law. It came about as a result of Abraham's faith over 400 years before the law was even given. That's the point. Verse 14 says, For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of no effect, of none effect. The promise comes by faith, not by the law. The law was not even in existence when God made Abraham the promise. God could not have based the promise on the law because Abraham never had the law. The promise that God made to Abraham was made independent of the law. God asked Abraham to accept his promise by faith, not to earn it by the law. Now let's look again at Galatians chapter 3. This time we're going to go to verses 17 and 18 says this, And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. What he said was, God made Abraham a promise. And he gave the law 430 years later. And what was given 430 years later can't erase the promise. Amen. 
This is the significance of the phrase, the promise. A promise is not a debt. You don't earn a promise. Amen. A promise is accepted by faith. You believe in a promise. If, if I owe it to you, it's a debt, not a promise. But if I make you a promise, I give it to you and you receive it from me out of faith. God made a promise to Abraham. He made that promise 430 years before the law was given because the promise had to be accepted by faith. Didn't want there to be any confusion about that. The law is going to come along much, much later because the law isn't connected to the promise. Does that make sense? Strict adherence to the law doesn't force God's hand. It doesn't make God a debtor to the one who keeps the law. The promise of God cannot be earned. The promise is received through faith. Amen? Abraham's faith resulted in obedience to the word of God. That's not the keeping of the law. That's the acting out of his faith. Amen? The best way to illustrate it for Paul was to point out the fact that the law came along 430 years after the promise was given. So if the promise was based on the law, then the promise was no good because the law didn't even exist when the promise was given. If the promise was based on the law, then faith becomes irrelevant. If those who are of the law become the heirs of the promise by the law, then Paul says that makes the promise, that makes faith void, and the promise has no value. That's what he said. If, if those that are uh, of the law become the heirs of the promise, amen, then the, the law is, is void and the promise has no value at all. Can I get an amen? Amen. Put verse 14 back up there. Romans chapter 4 and verse 14. That's where Paul says, if they which are of the law be heirs, then faith is void, and the promise is of none effect. The phrase of the law is important. For they which are of the law. The phrase of the law does not mean those who live by the law. It does not mean those who are obedient to the law. The phrase of the law means those who depend upon the law for their salvation. It is those who are relying on the law to save them. Paul is addressing legalism. He's addressing the legalistic Jew. Those who are of the law are those who have put their faith not in Christ, but in the law as if the law could save them. Now that matters. The reason that phrase is important and the way it's worded in the Greek matters is because everyone, even those who are saved 
by grace, through faith, should live by the law of God. Everyone. That doesn't mean that we should adhere to the Mosaic law or that we should keep the ceremonial law, but what it does mean is that we should live according to the precepts of God's moral law. To be of the law means that an individual is relying on legalism to save them. They believe that their adherence to the law, not just the Mosaic law, but any law, that their adherence to the law will be the source of their salvation. They believe that they can earn their way into heaven. And they could not be further from the truth. But Paul uses very specific language as he rejects the idea of legalism. He does not exclude the fact that we should also be in obedience to the law of God. Amen. We are not released from the inherent need to submit to God's moral law. Just because legalism doesn't save me doesn't mean that I can ignore the law of God. Just because legalism doesn't save me doesn't mean I don't have to pay attention to what God said about what is right and what is wrong. Let me bring it home. I may not be a legalist, but murder is still wrong. I may not be saved by the law, but it's still wrong to commit adultery. Amen? I may not be a legalist, but there are certain activities that are still going to offend God. Just because I'm not of the law doesn't mean I don't obey the law. God still has a moral nature. God still has a moral code. There are still laws that emanate from the very being of God which I don't transgress. I'm not earning the promise. I'm not earning my way into heaven by living righteous, but that doesn't mean that I'm loosed from every obligation to live right. Amen? Some would twist that. They'd say that sets you free from any obligation to the law of God. That's not what it says. I am still bound by God's moral law. Sin is still anything that transgresses the character of God. That didn't change what sin is. Amen. Verse 15 says, Because the law worketh wrath, for where the... Let me start that all over because it's kind of a, a play off of the previous. The reason why all that works is because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Since all men are sinners... The only thing the law can do is bring wrath. We talked about what you earn. You've only, you've only earned one thing. The wages of sin is death. That's the only thing you've ever earned. You won't earn your salvation. The law can't bring you salvation. The only thing the law can do is bring wrath. Now the question is, how does the law produce wrath? By definition... The law includes both commandments that are to be obeyed and penalties for those who disobey them. A law without penalty is no law at all. Amen? And so the law, by its very nature, 
condemns those who break it. The commandments of the law are the very measure of sin. They define sin. No man is perfect, and no man will faithfully fulfill the letter of the law. Therefore, if his faith is in the law, then the law has no other recourse but to condemn him because he will transgress the law. And once again, we're talking about the legalist. And if the legalist relies on what he does to earn his salvation, then eventually what he does will fail him. And the very thing that he relied upon to save him will be the thing that condemns him. The very thing that he leaned upon as the source of his salvation will become the source of the wrath of God against him. The law. And Paul goes on and says, Where there is no law, there can be no violation of the law. Because there would be no standard which could measure the actions. If there is no law, then you can't tell the difference between right and wrong because there is no standard to measure right and wrong against. But since there is a law, there's also such a thing as sin because sin transgresses the law. And since there is sin, the penalties of the law must be applied. In that sense, then, the law can't help but inflict wrath. The law can't help but bring about condemnation. That's the very nature of what the law is. Now, man could never live up to the law, so the law always condemns man. The law shows us where we stand. It gives the measure of our shortcomings. It condemns us. It can never save us. That's the message of Paul continually through the book of Romans as regarding the law. The law can only condemn us. It can never save us. Now, moving on to verse 16. Very complex piece of literature in verse 16. says, Therefore, it is of faith, it being the promise, that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. You notice he didn't exclude those who keep the law if they had the faith of Abraham. It goes back to our of the law and of faith. Just because I'm not of the law doesn't mean I don't keep the law. But we get here in this passage the antithesis of that of the law. Now we're dealing with those who are of faith. That, that, that statement in the very beginning of the verse, therefore it is of faith, speaks to the condition of being of faith. We, we cannot earn the promise by law. We earn it by faith or we receive it by faith. We don't earn it by anything. We don't earn it by law. We receive it by faith. God gave the promise to all of Abraham's seed, all of his offspring, by faith. If the promise were by law, and the law didn't come until 430 years later, then not all of Abraham's offspring could have received the promise. Four centuries worth of his offspring would have been excluded from the promise because they didn't have the law. The promise is not earned. 
It's the free gift of God. It is, Paul says, the result of grace. We can't earn grace. We don't deserve grace. We never will deserve grace. We obtain grace by faith. That's the conclusion that Paul is drawing from the discussion of the previous verses. Everything he said in this passage up to now leads to this conclusion. The law cannot save us. It can only condemn us. Deliverance can only come in the form of forgiveness, divine forgiveness. And divine forgiveness is possible only as a free gift of grace. God gives it. I don't earn it. Amen? We don't deserve forgiveness because we have transgressed the law. But instead of wrath, which the law demands for us, we receive forgiveness by grace through faith. It's faith that activates it. Faith is the key that opens the lock or fits the lock that opens the treasure house of grace. It's faith that gets me grace. Not just faith of mental ascent or something I say in my heart, but the faith that Abraham had. It's a faith that results in action. That faith opens the storehouse of grace. Grace is what brings me forgiveness. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I wasn't good enough. But God, by his mercy, gave me grace. Because the promise is by grace through faith, it is available to all of Abraham's descendants, not just those who had the law. It's available to everyone. The promise is to everyone who has the faith of Abraham. All of Abraham's spiritual children received the promise by following the example of Abraham's faith. They believe in Jesus Christ. And because they believe, they obey the word. They repent and they are baptized. And when they are baptized, they are baptized into Christ. That causes them to become a part of the seed of Abraham. It's faith that activates grace. It's faith that compels us to obedience, just like Abraham. The verse ends with a declaration that by faith, Abraham is the father of us all. Faith is the only way that we can come to God. Faith is the only thing that will save us, and Abraham is the father of us all. That word all is significant. Everyone who will be saved will be saved by faith. All. There's no division in it. There's no separation in it. There's no distinction in it. All are saved the same way, by grace, through faith. And the first portion of verse 17, the parenthetical expression that belongs with the current discussion, that's where we're going to conclude this morning. It reads this way. It says, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. What Paul is doing is he turns to Genesis chapter 17 and verse 5 to prove his point that Abraham is the father of us all. God made Abraham a promise. He said, I'm going to make you, listen, this is significant. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. The father of many nations. 
if the promise came only by the law, then Abraham would be the father of only one nation, the nation that received the law, the Jews. But since he is the father of many nations, then he must be the father of all who by faith receive the promise of God, not just those who have the law. That's the point of the parenthetical phrase. So God made Abraham a promise concerning his seed. The use of the word seed in Genesis, and Paul points out in Galatians, was singular, not plural. We think of it, we like to think of it as the many sons of Abraham. That's the seed of Abraham. We like to think of it as the descendants of Abraham that possessed the Canaan land. That works for us. It works scripturally. But Paul makes the very technical distinction that God was only talking about one seed. And that seed was Jesus Christ. God had only one son in mind. And that son was Jesus Christ who descended from Abraham. And that one seed was the promised seed. And he came to extend the promise of Abraham, not just to those who were of Abraham's blood, but to those who were of Abraham's faith. The transference of an inheritance comes by blood, but the transference of the promise comes by faith. I don't have to track my lineage by my blood back to Abraham to belong to the promise. I've just got to track my faith back to Abraham to belong to the promise. What kind of faith did Abraham have? Abraham had the kind of faith that produces action. He believed, and because he believed, he obeyed. As we close, I want to look at one more verse in Galatians chapter 3. Flipping over there and looking at verse 14. Verse 14 says this, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus came to bestow the blessing of Abraham upon the Gentiles. And that blessing, Paul says, was the promise of the Spirit through faith. Faith opens the treasury of grace. Faith compels me to repentance. Faith compels me to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sins. And when I'm baptized in his name, I'm baptized into Jesus Christ. I'm baptized into the seed of Abraham. And Paul says the point of the whole exercise is that I'll receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The promise of the Spirit is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the baptism of the Holy Ghost, Paul tells us in Ephesians, is the earnest of our inheritance. It's the down payment on the promise. Can you stand one more verse of Scripture? Flip to Ephesians chapter 1. Actually, two verses. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. I'm coming quickly to a close. I want to make this one point about the promise. The promise of the Spirit is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's the down payment on the promise. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth. That's faith. The gospel of your salvation. 
in whom also after that you believed, faith, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. He said you believed, and after you believed, you were filled with the Holy Ghost. You received the Holy Spirit of promise, which was the down payment. It's the earnest of our inheritance. It's just a little taste of the promise. What a wonderful, wonderful message. We are joint heirs with Abraham. Along with him, we will inherit the world one of these days. We'll become joint heirs. How do we become joint heirs with him? By faith. And because of our faith, God fills us with his spirit. And that's the down payment on the promise. That's rich stuff, folks. That's good stuff. All of it comes by grace through faith. It starts with simple, genuine, biblical faith. Would you stand with me? The kind of faith that Abraham had was faith that leads to obedience. Faith that leads to repentance. Faith that leads to baptism. That's the kind of faith that Abraham had faith that Paul says results in receiving the spirit of the promise receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost all who are saved are saved by faith that's the message and by faith Abraham becomes the father of us all we become his seed